0: everyone um all old faces here so welcome everyone i'm janet b recovered from compulsive eating and bulimia um i call this talk to infinity and beyond life after the first nine steps because we are always supposed to just like keep growing and moving on and you know we say okay we work 10 11 and 12 but there's a lot of principles in here so we're going to just like dig in a little and see what specifically we should be doing that maybe we've become lax about, or what can we get excited about? So we are going to start on page 83. This is right after a person finishes their amend, and it has what's called the ninth step promises. So it starts, I mean, beautiful language. Bottom of page 83, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. Now, what does that mean halfway through? Does it mean halfway through with our amends? Halfway through our steps? So like step four and a half. And you know what? I don't know. And um, I don't think it matters. I think the point is, if we keep working this step, at one point, we're going to look up and be amazed, like, oh my gosh, like, look what's happening. And here's what happens. We are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. So at the beginning, we get a little bit of freedom from the obsession. We start getting a little happy and now we get more. A new freedom, a new happiness. It keeps growing. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it because the past and what happened is what enables us to be of use to others we will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. I love that we will understand what serenity is. And so it reminds us um, on page 68, they give us a formula for serenity. They tell us we're in the world to play the role that God assigns, right? That's the only reason I'm here, to play the role that God has assigned me. Just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? So they're saying by this point, at the end of step nine, we should be better at doing what we think God would have us and humbly relying on him. And that is a formula for serenity. So the seren- my serenity is never dependent on how much calamity is around me. It's How much am I doing what I think God wants me to? And how well am I trusting him with the results? Um, So it tells us we can have serenity and we will know peace. Inside, a peace, no matter what's going on, we can be calm. Um, And for me, it's it's this just quiet knowing that God's got my back. God's got my back. And in the end, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not even in five years, in the end, he's going to make everything right. All I have to do is play the role he assigns. And we grow in that, and especially after our amends, because we've seen how, like, Miracles generally happen during our, during our amends. You know, I ran into someone on the streets of New York City who I had to make an amends to, you know, just happened to run into her. Um, yes, we, it was by our college that we both went to, but you know, still like things just happen. Um, so we really can start believing God's got our back. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. And because of that, the next promise comes true. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. That my past, you know, some of the rotten things I've done in the past can be used can so that I can be of use to others. I remember talking about, you know, I did like some um, kind of psycho things like faked a rape. And wouldn't you know, I got a sponsee and she told me, I faked a rape also, you know, who would have ever thought that my experience could be used to help someone else to form an identification. So she wouldn't feel. I've done something really horrible. It's like, yeah, so have I, I made my amends I'm forgiven. So can you be, that happens to us. And when we feel useful, we don't have time for self-pity. Um, So self-pity disappears. My sponsor, she's just very blunt about it. She says, self-pity is the devil. And I had a friend in OA say, um, self-pity parties end with a cake. So we want to be really careful for self-pity. Antidote to that, always gratitude. Um, We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows just automatically as god starts rewiring our hearts we start caring less about ourselves our little plans and designs and we care more about other people self seeking will slip away our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change we're not looking at what can i get for myself fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us it doesn't say we'll get rich but we're not going to be afraid it's like God knows my needs, right? God knows I need, I guess, health insurance and a roof over my head and, you know, food and clothing. So um, we're not afraid because we know that again, God's got our back and we're not afraid of people because who cares what people think of us, right? I mean, obviously if someone tells us we're being selfish we wanna listen because it's information we may use to apply so that we can get better, but we're not afraid of people not liking us. Um, We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us because we're not trying to play out 18 different scenarios. We're just looking, God, what's your will for me here? Nice and simple. What's your will? We will suddenly realize God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And then it tells us, are these extravagant promises? I mean, they kind of think, seem that way, especially if we're new and still in the food. And then it says, we think not. They're being fulfilled among us. Notice we don't fulfill it for ourselves. It's the passive voice being fulfilled by God. Um, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, right? Some people may realize them more quickly, but a promise they will always materialize if we work for them. And I would say this, we can't really work for the promises. I can't work on having self-seeking slip, you know, making my heart change. But I can work on trying to do God's will and trying to be of use to others. And as a result, the change in my heart is automatic. They will always materialize if we work for them. Says, okay, this thought brings us to step 10 which says we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong we promptly admitted it Um, and set right new mistakes as we go along notice how it says new mistakes we're not perfect even when we go through the steps i had someone say to me the other day i yelled at my kids like does this mean like basically my whole recovery is a sham and i'm like no You know, the book is really clear. Twisted thinking and depression don't vanish overnight. No, we're not going to change overnight. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to make mistakes. So what do we do? It says we vigorously or rigorously, I am I have my writing over it, so I can't see if it's vigorously or rigorously, commence this way of living as we cleaned up the past. So that means we don't wait until we're through the nine steps to be honest. And say, yeah, I'm not at step nine yet. So I can lie all I want. I'm not through the steps yet. Um, We start practicing these principles as best we can as soon as we jump in, as soon as we start. And then this gorgeous line, we have entered the world of the spirit. And it makes me think of um, the Wizard of Oz when Dorothy, you know, she's in a land where it's black and white and then everything's in color. We've entered a new world, the world of the spirit. And what's, what's it like in this world? Um, the bottom of the paragraph tells me, love and tolerance of others is my code. I don't have to worry about getting what I need to. In the world of the spirit, my job is to love and to be tolerant of others who aren't where I in my ego think they should be. So we've entered the world of the spirit, everything's now in color. Um, So what's our job? To grow in understanding and effectiveness. Understanding, I think that can mean two things. It can mean understanding of God. We learn more about God. We delve deeper into the mysteries of God, into learning about God, into growing in love for him. And understanding of our own character defects you know, unfortunately, just like the love of God is limitless. So are my character defects. And, you know, every so often or so often something will pop up and I'll say, oh gosh, I didn't realize I had this. The other day I saw like, okay, I'm guilty of the defect of like partiality, liking people who appeared a different way, better than people who, you know, were a little different. And I'm like, that's not right. It's not like racial prejudice or religious prejudice, but it's a form of prejudice. So we're always looking, you know, in our inventories and, and we don't hide it. So grow an understanding and effectiveness. We want to get better at helping people, whether it's sponsoring primarily and just better wives, better daughters, better husbands, better bosses, better employees, just more effective and it says this is not an overnight matter we're not going to be perfect it should continue for our lifetime and what do we watch for selfishness dishonesty resentment and fear when they crop up we ask god at once to remove them so that's something we who've been through the steps can ask ourselves okay that's a that's a principle to practice am i asking god at once? to remove defects when they crop up. We can say the seven step prayer, asking God to remove whatever the defect is. We discuss it with someone. We make amends if we have to. And then we look to see who we can help. Because again, love and tolerance is our code. Not fairness, not me making sure I get what I want. Love and tolerance. And then... Really the beautiful promise. We have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol or food. For by this time, sanity will have returned. We will seldom be interested in liquor or food not on our food plan. If tempted, we recoil as if from a hot flame. So remember when we talked about um, the insanity back when we were talking about step one and we said it's the inability to remember that if I take the first bite, I won't be able to stop, that I can remember if I put my hand on a hot stove, it will burn me. But that same mechanism that allows me to remember if I touch hot stoves, they'll burn me um, doesn't work when it comes to food. It doesn't work where if I touch, eat one cookie, I'll eat the whole bag. It didn't work. But now they tell me what's the promise for by this time, sanity will have returned. I've got a bridge to God now and I'm protected. And what happens? I won't even be interested in food, not on my food plan. Seldom be interested in it. And if tempted, we recoil as if from a hot flame. And it happens automatically. We're just not interested. And it says, um, this has happened automatically top of page 85. We will see our new attitude toward first food has been given us without any effort on our thought or effort on our part. it just comes. And I remember thinking without any thought or effort on our part, we put a hell of a lot of work into getting better. What do they mean? And I think what they mean is, our thought and effort isn't toward getting a new attitude about food, kind of a a neutrality and nonchalance. It's about finding and doing God's will and helping others. That's what we put our thought and our effort in. And as an automatic result, the food obsession is removed. It's like if I'm by a parking meter, I may put a quarter in and then that arrow moves to, you know, give me two hours or whatever. I didn't move the arrow. I didn't put any effort into moving the arrow. I just did the work that was required so that the machine could move itself. We do the work that's required and then God comes in and rewires our hearts. And look what they say. That is the miracle of it. The miracle. Um, Supernatural divine intervention. The power of God breaking into our lives and doing something. It is a miracle. And it says, we're not fighting. We're not avoiding temptation. Now, caveat here, at the beginning, when we're first starting, um, and sometimes even a little you know, into our steps, we do have to avoid temptation. Um, when I first started the steps, I remember there was a party at my job and I think it was during lunch, and I sat in the back room with my lunch that I had brought. I couldn't do it. I couldn't be around the temptation. And our book is really clear at the end of the chapter, working with others, that you know, if you're on shaky ground, don't go. But says by this time, we're not avoiding temptation. Um, we've been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. Who placed us there? I didn't place myself there. I couldn't, or I would have done it way before I heard of Overeaters Anonymous. um, Placed there by God, safe and protected. You know, so many times people say, like, if they're abstinent, they say, I was good today. And I always want to say like, no, 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 you were protected. You did what you needed to stay under god's protection and sometimes if people break their abstinence they'll say something like i took my will back and then i say really like did you go up to god and say i gave you my will in step three now i want it back no so it's not that we take our will back it's we've done something to step outside of god's protection And so we have to figure out what it is. And so generally the things to look at would be a resentment, a fear, a harm I've caused and haven't fixed, or a dishonesty. That's how we get out of God's protection. Um, And remember, if God's not protecting us, it's not because God's mean. The way I like to think of it is if there's a king and you know, we're serfs on his land, and he says, okay, as long as you're on my land, when the invading army comes, I'll pull up the drawbridges and you will be safe and protected. So if the illness comes to attack, we are safe and protected, as long as I'm on the king's land. But if I wander off the king's land because I wanna do things my way, when the invading army comes and the king pulls up the drawbridges, i'm not there and i'm not protected not because the king doesn't love me but because i wandered off so our job is to stay in the place of protection again they say we haven't sworn off the problem has been removed by god doesn't exist for us we're not cocky we're not like yeah i got this beat and we're not scared because we know as long as we're on the king's land we are protected and it says this is how we read react as long as we keep in fit spiritual condition and then they tell us the one thing that is easy it is easy to let up on the spiritual program of action and rest on our laurels right to say "Eh, i don't really have to do this today i'm good i got this Mm -mm." and then it tells us we are headed for trouble if we do for alcohol is a subtle foe right like you know someone has said like well, I'm in recovery. My disease is in the corner doing push-ups. I don't know if I quite agree with that, but you know, I know that I need to keep on the king's land and it says we're not cured. What we have is a daily reprieve, a reprieve, a stay of execution, contingent on one thing. Not how good my marriage is, not how things are going at work, nothing like that. Contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual condition. How's my spiritual life going? Am I helping other people? Am I doing self-sacrifice? Am I spending time with God? And it tells us every day is a day we have to carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. And then again, here's a way to practice. Step 10, step 11, how can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. These are thoughts which must go with us constantly. So now I ask myself, how often do I say that during the day? How can I best serve thee, God? Thy will, not mine, be done, right? I'm supposed to be thinking that, praying that constantly. And they say, um, yeah, you can use your willpower that way. That's the proper use of the will to think, okay, It's God's will for me to um, go visit my mom today. Oh, it's raining, it's cold. I'd rather not, I'm going. That's the proper use of the will. And then it says, okay, much has already been said about receiving strength, inspiration, and direction from him who has all knowledge and power. I mean, again, that is beautiful. We receive it from him. It's not like the force inside us waiting to be awakened. We receive, and what do we get from God? Strength, strength to do hard things, inspiration, guidance on what to do, and direction. And if we've carefully followed directions, we've begun to sense the flow of his spirit into us. We start realizing, yeah, God's rewired my heart. Like, this is pretty cool. Um, and we've become con- God conscious. says so we've begun to develop this vital sixth sense but we must go further. And that means more action. So then they start talking about step 11. Step 11 suggests prayer and meditation. So don't be shy. Better men than we. We're at top of 86. Or using it constantly. So constantly. More than just, you know, a little bit of time in the morning. Constantly. Um, it works. And here's the two conditions for prayer to work. If we have the proper attitude and work at it. So, what's the proper attitude? Um, I think for sure, humility, remembering that He's God, I'm not. So, I start my prayer time with a worship song. I just take a worship song in my horrible singing voice, I'll just sing it to God. I start with worship, recognizing He is God and deserving of my worship. Um, And I think submission, right? I've got to be submissive to God. Otherwise, I'm treating him as a servant. So obedient to God. And we work at it. We persevere. So I I tell my sponsees, um, if they want to work with me, I tell them that they'll need to commit at least 30 minutes every morning to developing a prayer practice, prayer, meditation, developing a relationship with God. Um, And they say, okay, be easy to be vague about this, but we're going to give you some suggestions. And then they say, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. And great debates have been held about whether the nightly review is called step 10 or step 11. And I have no idea. I don't know. Don't care. Don't want to get into that debate. But I was thinking about that today. Like, okay, they start talking about prayer you know, and then they say, okay, we're going to now give you some suggestions. And their suggestions is basically inventory your day, like as part of prayer. And I just happened to um this morning glance at a book that I have called prayer. And the first chapter was called the whole life must pray. And so as I was prepping tonight, I thought, ah, let me just read that, see if there's anything here. And I thought there were a couple of, um, I'm just going to read a little bit from it because I think this ties together. If we're not um, clearing the channel, getting rid of the crud in our spiritual life, we can't expect God to fill the channel. But anyway, I thought this was really pretty. So I'm going to read it. Prayer at its best is the expression of the total life, Certainly there have been and will continue to be instances when an isolated prayer may be answered, even when the one uttering it may not have been living an exemplary life. But we assume that most of those who read this page are not satisfied to get a prayer through occasionally. They wanna know a more satisfying prayer life, one that elevates and purifies every act of body and mind and integrates the entire personality into a single spiritual unit such prayer can only be the result of a life lived in the spirit all things else being equal our prayers are only as powerful as our lives in the long haul we pray only as well as we live so i thought that was really cool and that's why like okay we worship And then we clear away the wreckage of the day. So what do we look at? We look at if we were resentful, selfish, dishonest, afraid. Do we owe an apology? Have we kept something to ourselves which should be discussed with another person at once? And that's where I put my, um, you know, things, the cruddy stuff about myself that I noticed during the day. Like, oh, I had unkind thoughts about this person. Like I'm, I'm, As the book says, I am hard on myself, Um, not in a beating myself up way, but the formula that God has made for removing our defects is we have to admit them and then ask him to remove them. So of course he knows what my defects are and he could just remove them anyway. But I mean, he's God. He made that formula. My job is to go with it and be grateful for it. So I'm um, pretty hard on myself. Were we kind and loving toward all? And sometimes I may be yes in my actions, but not in my thoughts toward certain people. And that goes down. I wasn't kind and loving in how I thought about so-and-so. What could we have done better? There should always be something, always something I could have done better. Were we thinking of ourselves most of the time or thinking of others, what we could pack into the stream of life? And then it tells us, no worry, remorse, or morbid reflection. Most of us fall off the bed on one of two sides. Either we um, make light of what we do, like, oh, it wasn't that bad. It was really my boss's fault, my kid's fault, you know, whatever. Or fall off the side of the bed of, oh, I'm such a horrible person. We're not supposed to do either. Either one of them is really a form of pride. Yeah, I make mistakes. I still have character defects it's okay i do my best i try and some days i have to say i really didn't even do my best i could have done better but that's why that question is there what could we have done better and we should be really honest with ourselves Um, and then it says on awakening we think about the day ahead and consider our plans before we begin, we ask God to direct our thinking, especially asking it be divorced from self pity, dishonest, or self seeking motive. So, again, assume we've worshiped, we've done our review, and we ask God to direct our thinking. So, we literally say, God, please direct my thinking. Please keep it free from self pity, dishonest, or self and self seeking motives. And I add, and pride, and please smash my pride. And it says, then we can use our mental faculties with assurance for God gave us brains to use. It is okay to ask questions, to try and find out know, things. Um, God gave us brains to use. And it says, our thought life is on a higher plane when we're not filled with self-pity, self-seeking motive. And then it tells us what to do if we have indecision. It says, we may not what to do. So here's what we do. We ask God for inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision. We relax and take it easy, so it can be something like, "God, you know, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do in the next hour. Please guide my thoughts." Okay, so that's a way we can practice these step ten and eleven. And it says we're surprised how the right answers come after we've tried this for a while. On top of page eighty-seven really talks about how, um, we start getting inspired and it says, but we're inexperienced and we've just made conscious contact with God. What a a beautiful thought, right? We have made conscious contact with the creator of the world. It says, we're not going to be inspired all the time. That's okay. And we may have some like crazy ideas that come out of it. That's okay. Um, That's why like, it's okay to make mistakes, but it's also, I will caveat it that it's good to, when we get some like big guidance or what we think is big guidance. um, For instance, if someone said, oh, God told me that I should, you know, leave my husband and five kids, probably a good idea to check with someone first. You know, it says we're not going to be inspired at all times. That's why it's good to check with people. If someone is just um, starting in this, a great thing, there's a great pamphlet um, on two-way prayer that's really helpful for using in our quiet time to develop it. If someone has a link and wants to throw it into the chat, but it's, um, it's a really helpful practice. And then it tells us when we're done. We pray, we meditate. So what I do, my practice is generally, I spend some time um on some kind of spiritual reading or a spiritual podcast, and then spend some time in prayer, which includes worship, repentance, petition asking God um, for things I need to protect people and, and gratitude, gratitude. And I know sometimes we have the app that, you know, or we'll just like text someone or write down our gratitudes. I think it's important and I always stop and yes, I write them down or I put them in the app, but then I say them out loud, God, for each and every one, God, thank you for this. Thank you for this. Because it's not about getting them down on an app and sending them to someone. It's about thanking God, developing our relationship with God. And then I sit and I listen, I have a journal and I write, I write what comes to me and you know so it says we do that we ask for freedom from self-will and when we're done we ask that we be given whatever we need to take care of the problems that come out that arise during the day so it's like god thank you you know please give me whatever i need to take care of the problems that arise um and again it tells us we don't make requests for ourselves only. Now, sometimes people say, well, can I ask for serenity? And can I ask for patience? And I say, yes. And they say, but it says we don't ask for things for ourselves. I don't know. I, I pray for serenity and patience. So that's, um, I just always want to make sure that I don't, that we don't get so hung up on a word or a phrase that we miss the spirit behind it. Um, Okay. it says if circumstances warrant, we ask our family members to join us in morning meditation. Um, We select, sometimes select and memorize a few set prayers, which emphasize the principles we've been discussing. I often say the Our Father and the St. Francis prayer, like two good prayers in line with my religion, in line with the spiritual principles of the program. You know, so it's good to. And I also on my phone Every time I see a prayer that I like, I'll put it on my, I have one section in notes. So I've accumulated like, I don't know, maybe 30 short prayers. And just at different times, I'll say different ones. And then it tells us what to do through the day. Um, This is really like a manual for any problem we could have. So now it's telling us what to do when we're agitated or have doubt, bottom of 88. We pause. Take a deep breath and we ask God for the right thought or action. God, what would you have me do? God, please inspire me. And we constantly remind ourselves. So an action step. So we should be doing this throughout the day. I'm no longer running the show. Thy will, not mine, be done. And then it tells us things that are dangerous for us. Excitement, right? Getting overly excited. Fear. Anger, worry, self pity, and foolish decisions. And so as we become efficient because we're not like always, first, we're not in other people's business or worried what other people think of us. Um, we don't tire so easily because we're not, again, running around like chickens without heads. And we're not trying to arrange life so that things go the way I want so one example um we were putting up our Christmas tree um when my kids were home over Thanksgiving break so it's a tradition we always did it we had this nice tradition where every year we would buy the each kid an ornament like with about something they did during the year and it was like special well my kids now are 20 and 21 and one of them was just lying on the couch on the phone so clearly didn't want to be there. And I'm like, and so I think like, you know, so I, my mind could go like, is it too much to ask that my kids give me 45 minutes so that we can have this like Norman Rockwell time to put up the tree and, you know, kumbaya and it's all wonderful and all that. And then I'm like, no, I I'm not entitled to that. I can wish it i could desire it but the 12 and 12 tells me i have to be careful not to turn my desire into demands so i didn't try to arrange things so that they worked out differently it's like whoever i'm putting up the tree the ornaments whoever wants to join me fine and, you know, maybe this is, you know, and then I could get into self-pity, like, well, this may be the last year that, you know, everyone's home for Thanksgiving or Christmas. And it's like, yeah, you know what? It may be the last year. It's okay. I'm not arranging life to suit myself. what I don't need to have a Norman Rockwell putting up the Christmas tree moment. I am not entitled to anything. God removed my food obsession. Anything beyond that is gift. Even that's gift. So I find that the fewer demands I make on people on life to get certain things, um, you know, it's the happier I am. And it says it works. it really does. because if we don't expect things from other people, we're not disappointed. We're not, it's like, okay, they didn't want to put up the tree. Would have been nice, but that's okay. Um, Because again, I have a great sense of purpose. God has removed my food obsession. You know, I've got like something to live for, I know the end of my story. Um, So one night is a blip on the radar screen. And then it closes by just saying, it works. It really does. Like this way of life works, that people like us are undisciplined. So we let God discipline us in the way we've outlined. And they say, okay, there's more action. Um, Faith without works is dead. And the work they have cut out for us once we finish step nine is working with others. So um, Melissa and I will be talking about that next week. And that is all I have on this chapter.